All right. Who's been in trouble lately? I have. Yeah. Not me. What did you do? I don't want to. What did you do to get this Toby? Ethan, what did you do to get in trouble? I didn't do anything. You haven't been in trouble lately? Give me no, a high five, man. You haven't? I'm not in what happens when you get in trouble? You get spanked. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Get grounded. Grounded, spanking. Do you ever get in trouble? I get spankings. You get spankings, all right. Now, in your school, what does your teacher do to let you know that you've done something bad? They take a note home to our parents. Sends a note home, does what? Takes the dojo away. Takes a what away? Like it, dojo. Their dojo points, like, like if you get certain, if you get certain amounts of points at the end of the month, yeah, then you get like a prize. Ethan, you got I'll any go points taken away? Uh, not so no. Not so far. That's awesome. Do you think the baby and child Jesus was ever in trouble? No. no. Oh, he made cry of the mommy and dad was like, don't cry. You think baby Jesus crying? Yeah. You got in trouble about that? A little. Probably a little bit. A little bit. That's sort of odd to talk it's about, really isn't it? It's annoying. That they just got like stressed out because he was crying so much, maybe. Yeah, parents got stressed out, he's crying. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, when you've been, been in trouble, has anybody ever come and helped you out of it? Mm-hmm. Who's that? Uh, my teacher. Your teacher? What did she do? She, um... She doesn't take a dojo away. She, Ooh, she leaves it up there. That's got to be pretty special. No wonder you don't have any dojos off. She leaves them. That's good. But I don't do anything. You don't do anything bad. I did when I was in K4, but and now I'm in first grade. I'm not so this year you're perfect. Wow. Let me ask this question. How did Jesus come and get us out of trouble? Uh, he died on the Ooh, that's a good answer. Anybody he have any rose from the death? He rose from the dead too, didn't he? All right, you gotta love those children. Give my hand. Uh, the, the truth is, guys, that we are all in trouble. You know, uh, little Layla Grace, she's not been in trouble all year long. The beautiful little blonde hair on the right, she's done really well. But the rest of us, we've been in trouble. And, and I love finding out from the kids about what they call dojos. And uh, let me show you a picture of this. Uh, you get to pick out a little monster that's your monster. It's really a reward system at elementary school at ACA. And as it moves up, you get more rewards. But as you get in trouble, it, get, it gets pulled down. And, and the truth is, all of us lose dojo points. And as the children said, when that happens, bad things happen. We get, we get in trouble. I, I like the, the famous preacher Rick Warren tells about when his daughter was growing up. She was three years old. And they went to the grocery store with the mom, and they dropped the mom off. She was just getting a couple items, so they parked the car. Little girl wanted to get out of her car seat, but Rick wouldn't let her out of her car seat. It was Southern California, so the, the windows were down. And so she began to yell as people passed by the car, God, please get me out of here. Well, we all get to that point in life, don't we, where we are saying to God, would you get me out of here? I, my life is in trouble. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. Matthew 1, Joseph heard this crazy news that his fiancée is pregnant. She's given this story that it was the Holy Spirit. He doesn't buy it. And so God's got to do something about this. And so he sends the angel Gabriel to explain this. Look at verse 20. 
But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. It's no joke. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, when Joseph hears this, he has no problem putting together the name Jesus with he will save his people from his sins. Because this is the picture of God coming to the rescue. And the word Jesus that Joseph is to name this son literally means God saves. When Mary introduces this baby and holds him, what's his name? What she's literally saying is God saves. When Jesus shows up in elementary school and the teacher calls the roll, when they say his name, it is God saves. Now think about that. First of all, it's God. I mean, that's why the angels gathered the birth scene and they sing, even if the baby Jesus was in trouble crying, right? They're singing because it's God crying. And that's why when we get all the way to the cross and Jesus is dying for our sins, The angels and all of heaven is silent because it is God dying. This is God. In fact, the word used in the name Jesus is a form of the word Lord or God used in the Old Testament. But it was such a a holy term that Jewish people would not even say it. They never even came up with the pronunciation. It's taken us years later to give it the term Yahweh. Because they thought it was so holy and so wonderful that it did not ever need to be said. Now catch the scene. Here is God saves. A God you're not even supposed to say his name. Who has descended to this earth to save us. Who's been given a a, a common name, Jesus, to be used. So God, and then he saves. His identity is his God. His mission is to save us. Jesus has come on a search and rescue mission. He did not come just to understand us and get us, or even like we talked about last week, to simply let us know he is for us. We were in deep trouble. He came to save us. You see, God wanted to be close to us. And God's plan was that he would populate heaven with us. But there was a problem. If heaven is anything, heaven is perfect. If I am anything and you are anything, we are imperfect. So what's God going to do? Is God just going to reject us? Just abandon us? Well, he can't do that because he loves us. Was God just going to let us in heaven and overlook all of our sins? Well, he can't do that because it wouldn't be heaven. It wouldn't be that perfect paradise restored. And so he's got to do something about this issue that you and I have that we call sin. And and the Bible says plainly that all of us have sinned and broken our relationship with God. Now, why does that happen? Why can't God be around sin? Well, you need to understand the literal definition of sin. The literal definition of sin is to miss the target, to miss the mark. What is the mark when we are created? We were created to live in the image of God. 
And so, guys, when we sin, when we miss the mark, what we have done is we've missed things that represent the very character of God. Sin is not just a list that God came up with to make you miserable for a while and to catch you. It's a list of things that are against the character of God. And God is so holy. When sin enters the picture, God must walk out the door. And so Jesus walks into the world to help us. We've all sinned. Sometimes we sin out of rebellion. You know, we, just, we know what God said, and I don't like what God said, and so I say to God, who cares? I'll just go do what I want to do. Many of us, though, we've fallen into sin, not out of rebellion, but we've just, as the Scripture would say, we've, we've slowly drifted into sin. We just aren't paying very good attention. You ever that way? Earlier this week, if I can barely see it now, I had a big scar here on my head. I, I, the, the way I got the scar is I just wasn't paying attention. And so in my house, I walked into the door frame of a door, and it's pretty sharp, and it, just, it was just bloody for three or four days. Now, now, I wish I had a better story than that, right? I wish I could tell you that Stephanie hit me, okay? That, that, that would sound better. Or I wish I could tell you some legalist cut me because they didn't like what I was preaching. That, that would be nice, but I, I just was being stupid, all right? I just walked into the doorframe. Sorry about that. And guys, often, we're not making a conscience effort to sin, but we're not staying focused on God, and so slowly, we just drift into the doorframe. And before long, we're in trouble. And so Jesus comes to get us out of this trouble. Listen to some scriptures that will explain this. First John 4, verse 10. God loved us and sent his unique son on a special mission to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's on a mission, guys. I mean, Jesus lived his, his life with a laser mission. He wanted to get us out of trouble. He wanted to rescue us. And so he knows to do that. This baby's going to have to get on a cross He's going to go from the cradle to a cross, and he's going to die on that cross as the atoning, replacing sacrifice for our sins. Listen to the way Romans 4 verse 8 puts it. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Now, God's not saying you're ever in a position where you haven't sinned, but what he is saying is if you are in Jesus Christ, no longer does he count it against you. He, he, even when you mess up, I, I, loved, I loved the interview with the kids because I, I love the point where Ethan Capps told me he had not made any mistakes, that he had not lost any dojo points. I thought, man, that's cool, Ethan. I'm proud of you, buddy. And then later he explained, though, he had made some mistakes. His teacher was just full of grace, and she didn't pull the dojo points down, right? And guys, that's what happens when we meet this God who saves, Jesus is no longer does he count your sins against you. They were counted against Jesus. And I love this one, Isaiah 43. Here's how great it is. I will remember your sins no more. Guys, when you have sinned and you have messed up, and you ask God for forgiveness, and then you still feel guilty about it, and let's say the next day you come back again, and you'll go, God, I'm still so sorry about what I did the other day. You know what God says? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I have zero memory of what you did. I mean, God is so much better than us. Not only can he forgive, but this God who's omniscient, this is crazy, has the power to forget. 
Now, for some of us who grew, grew up years ago, you, you may understand this. When I was in high school and college, and the teacher would ask us to write a paper, we would have to take this old-fashioned device out. Okay, I got a picture for those of you who probably don't know what in the world this is, all right? This is what they called a typewriter. And it was a mechanical device that you had to push the key down about two inches. And then this miraculous thing to do, this metal arm would pop up, hit the ink ribbon, and leave the impression of the letter on the paper. And it was, you know, for us, it was pretty high tech. Now, here's the deal, though. There was no delete button. You guys won't believe this. There was no delete button on this typewriter. And so if you made a mistake, you made a mistake. Now, we finally came up with something. It it looked like a a little bottle of, um, you know, fingernail polish. What was it called? Whiteout. You guys have got better memory than I thought. It's called Whiteout. Or first service called it liquid paper, whatever that is, okay? <laughs> I had not heard of that one. But there was, um, there was whiteout. And so if you made the mistake, you'd have to take the paper, and you'd have to get your little brush, and you'd white it out, and then you'd go. This is crazy how much time it took. And then you would go back, and you would, you would type over it. But let me ask you a question. Was there any record of the mistake you made? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you could see there's whiteout all over the paper. I mean, it was there. No matter how, how well you had corrected it, how nice you had been with the liquid paper, the whiteout, it was still there. The mistake was still on the paper. And guys, I'm afraid some of us believe that's the way God is. That, oh, yes, he forgives. The, the mistake's still there. And next time you cuss, he's going to go, you've done it again. Next time you look at that porn, there you go again. No, that's not what God says because he doesn't even remember it. God has a delete button. When you lie and you come to God and you say, God, forgive me, he deletes it completely. When you looked at that porn and you asked for forgiveness, he deletes it. When you gossiped about somebody and you say, Lord, I'm so sorry, he deletes it. When you had that affair and you, you come to God in repentance, he deletes it. When you're selfish and do things you shouldn't do, he deletes it. When your speech hurts the people you love the most, he deletes it when you ask for forgiveness. He's got a delete button. There is no record at all. Now, are you letting that sink in? That's crazy. But let me say it this way. That is crazy wonderful. And that's why this birth announcement and this birth name given to Jesus, God saves, is, should keep us in a sense of wonder. It's the wonder of salvation that we could be that lost and that condemned and we could be completely saved, completely deleted from the sin. Now, we, we got to get a handle on that because sometimes I don't get that. I, I want to tell you about a woman in Scripture who got it. It's one of my favorite stories in the gospel. This woman is a prostitute. And let me tell you about the scene. Jesus has been invited over to a a Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. Now, Pharisee was the most religious person that day, supposedly the most righteous. They they, they tried to live perfectly. They couldn't do it, but they thought they were. And they they definitely looked down on anybody like this prostitute. Well, this Pharisee's invited Jesus over supper, and, and as they did in that day, they're lying around the table, and this prostitute woman burst unannounced into the Pharisee's house. 
And she goes straight to Jesus. And Jesus is laying down, and she gets at his feet. And she bows, and she begins to cry. And, and her tears are so big, they begin to flood Jesus' feet. She's so embarrassed that she does something no respectable Jewish woman would do in public. She takes her hair down, and she begins to wipe and dry his feet with her hair. And then she's so overwhelmed with his love, she begins to kiss his feet. What a scene. Now, this Pharisee is appalled. He's appalled at this woman, and he's appalled that Jesus would put up with this. In fact, the Pharisee, I love how the Bible puts this, said to himself, all right? He didn't want to say it out loud. If Jesus knew what kind of woman this were, he wouldn't be letting this go on. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. He's God. And so he knew what the Pharisee guy was thinking. Can you imagine how miserable that would be to be around Jesus? And you start thinking something, you say, stop thinking it, buddy. Stop thinking it. He's going to nail you. Well, he nails the Pharisee. The Pharisee's thinking, what's going on here? This is embarrassing that he would even let this go on. And Jesus says, hey, man, can I ask you a question? There's these two dudes. One of them owes a moneylender $500. Other owes him $50. The moneylender is so nice, he forgives them both. Can I ask you a question, Simon? Which one of those guys will love the moneylender the most? And he's trapped. And he's got to say, the God that was forgiven the most. And then watch the scene. Go with me to Luke 7. Let's start reading in verse 40, 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, stop for a second. What do I see? Jesus looks at the woman, but he's talking to Jesus. Talking to Simon, excuse me. Listen to what he says. Do you see this woman? I love that. I love that. That is the funniest question in all the Bible. Simon, have you seen this girl that burst into your house and that cried and kissed my feet and burst open a a jar of perfume? She did that too. I mean, she just, she begins to pour this expensive perfume, perfume. I mean, see her. I mean, she's dominated the room. Do you see her? But what Jesus is asking here is, did you really see her? And then continue to read. I came into your house. You did, not, you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Now, you see the underline on the board? This story hits me different. Here's the way I've always pictured this story. This woman's heard rumors about Jesus. She finds out that Jesus is at this leper's house. So she runs to go see him. And she bursts in and she's overwhelmed. But this, this says to me a little bit different angle. Why is she showing such love? Because she has been forgiven. I believe this woman has had an encounter with Jesus. She hears he's back in town. She burst in. She is so thankful that Jesus has forgiven her. She can't help but express it. It's a great story. Because this woman, she gets the wonder of salvation. 
I wonder if we do. How do you know she gets it? Let me tell you a few things that change about her because she's been forgiven. Number one, it changes your heart's affections. She expresses it uh, with extravagance. She's not holding back. She's kissing. She's crying. She's wiping his feet with her hair. She's bursting the perfume open. In fact, her worship is quite expensive here. This, this perfume bottle was worth a, wa- a year's wages. In America today, it'd be worth an average year's wages of $45,000. So she's, what, what is she doing? Let me tell you the definition. What she is doing is she is worshiping. A couple weeks ago, we gave you this definition of worship. It's my favorite. Worship is the response of all that I am to all that he is. You see, if, if I ever get in awe of him, I begin to respond. Worship is the response of all that I am, my head, my heart, and my hands, all that I am mentally, emotionally, and physically to all that he is. That's what she's doing. And that's what you and I have been called to do. I know some of us say, oh, buddy, when you start talking about these hands, when you start talking about laying before God, I just can't do it. I'm telling you, I think any of us could do it if we ever really understood God's forgiveness. How could you not? So it changed your heart's affections. It will change your life's directions. This woman's a changed woman. You see, this perfume bottle is more than just expensive perfume. It's her marketing tool. In the Middle East in that day, the way a prostitute would put out for business is she would go to a street corner, but they didn't have neon signs in that day. She would simply go to that street corner, and she'd open this perfume bottle, and so the aroma was to lure the men to lay with her. And so for her to pour out this perfume is to simply say to Jesus, I'm declaring that I am not a prostitute anymore. I am pouring out my opportunity to sin. And my friends, when you get the grace of God, it doesn't make you more likely to sin. It makes you less likely to sin. It's that place where you're going to finally say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. You see, all those things we mentioned earlier where God hit the delete button. What that should motivate you is out of appreciation that God not only forgave it, but he forgot it. It would motivate you the next time you're tempted to gossip to say, I'm not going to gossip. The next time you're tempted to have an affair, you'd say, I'm never going to have an affair. The next time you're tempted to say cruel, mean words, you go, I don't want to do that anymore because I've been forgiven of that and God's been so good to me. And now I want to please God. It's so, a Lord, I'm giving over my opportunity to sin. And then number three, It will change your self-perception. This woman, before she met Jesus, as a prostitute, she lived in the dark corners. She certainly would have never showed up at a Pharisee's house because she knew how he felt about her. But at this point, she feels good about herself. She's a forgiven person. She really doesn't care if this Pharisee doesn't want her in his home. She doesn't care that it's going to embarrass him for her to do what she did. She is now a saved person. She has been rescued. Can I ask you, do you know you've been rescued? Do you know you're a saved person? I made a lot of mistakes early in my preaching career. This used to be my definition of the church. The church 
is a bunch of sinners trying to help each other do better. I know what I meant by that, but that's a terrible definition. God doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at me and go, oh, just a bunch of sinners struggling along. Hopefully they'll do a little bit better. Oh, no, no. He's hit the delete button. When he looks across his audience today, and those of us who are children of God, he sees absolute perfection. We are a saved, redeemed, chosen people on a mission for God. Our self-perception has changed. And not only has our self-perception changed, but our perception of other sinners has changed. Because we know that all we got to do is get them to Jesus and everything will be different. So I ask you this morning, do you understand, like this woman, the wonder of salvation? And and my challenge is this Christmas, for you to see this wonder of what really happened in the incarnation through a child. Because if you don't see this through a child's eyes, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to stay in trouble. Listen to what Jesus said. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. You see, my friends, one of our problems is we make things way too complicated. A child understands they're in trouble. A child understands they can't save themselves. A child understands that only Jesus can save you. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't go to church to make yourself right for heaven. You can't read your Bible enough. And a child understands it's a simple gift to be accepted. You see, we become adults and someone gives us a gift and we just thank them 10,000 times and we try to make up a way that we can give them something and how we give it back and how we almost can earn it. This Christmas, you know this, when your children unwrap their gift, if you make them, they'll probably come hug you and thank you. But they're just going to accept the gift. They're just going to accept it as a simple expression of your love. And guys, here's what I think about children. Is children are much better than you and I at living under grace. Too many of us, despite the fact that Jesus comes, we still live under law. We can't get over the delete button. We can't quite believe that. We think at least there's the liquid paper mark. I love watching my, my two grandsons, George and Taze, my oldest ones. They're about three years old. I love, love when they come to our house and they play so well together. But every once in a while they get in a fight. And, and often George will just push Taze down. And Taze is very emotional. He's his mama's son, all right? He's very emotional. And, and so he will, he will just wail and cry. And the dude can produce tears like this woman in Luke chapter 7. I mean, they're just, they're just gallons. I mean, the, he needs to be an actor. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. But you know what? We'll make them hug each other insincerely and say sorry. But three seconds later, they're back over with Thomas the train, and they have forgotten what happened before. And they don't wake up the next morning going, you know what, I remember George knocked me down yesterday. No, they understand grace. It's done. It's gone. And for us, guys, we, for us to, to experience this, we've got to understand it the same way. So let me keep it simple this morning. Let me close with Jesus' name. God saves. Are you saved? When I say the word saved, is there an exclamation point behind that for you? Or is there a question mark? Because a child would understand this. There are only two categories of people in this room right now. There are lost people and there are saved people. That's all there are. And I ask you, are you saved? 
Jesus came in this world on a single mission to save you. Have you accepted that? That's what's so cool about announcing these baptisms this morning. Because baptism is that, that sign, that marker that, that you have met Jesus. And you've met Jesus at his death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul says, if someone starts questioning your salvation, you just point back to your baptism and say, but look what happened back there. God saved me. And there may be some people today, you've got a question mark, and you need baptism to clear it all up. And today you could do that. And there may be those of us that we've lived with the explanation point. We've been saved, but I'm going to ask you, are you living like a saved person? Are you worshiping this morning like a saved person? You see, a lot of us forget about it, don't we? A lot of us, you know, it just, you know, back when we got baptized, we could easily believe it, but now it's 10 years later, and I'm still struggling with some things. Oh, I'm sitting less, but I'm not sinless. And maybe you need what this woman did. At the end of Luke chapter 7, Jesus once again said, woman, your sins are forgiven. Because most of us need to be reminded, and I hope this message is reminding you this morning of just how awesome God is is. So this morning, if you need to remove the question mark, this front row's open. If you need to be baptized, be baptized today. Remove all doubt. But here's the way we want to close this service out. We just want to celebrate. We want to be like this woman. I'm gathering that a vast majority of us are saved, that there's an explanation point and, and, and the response that we should do in song, the response that we would express around the Lord's table is not of sadness, but of celebration. You see, because when God looks at us, God doesn't see a rough draft with a bunch of whiteout. God sees the perfect, completed paper. And that's reason to rejoice. Let's stand together and sing.